forgiving yourself, finding rest. There was a young boy who went to spend the evening at his friend's house. Before he left, his father asked him to make sure now you call home when you get there. I just want to make sure that you're safe and you've arrived there. As the evening wore on, no call. The father, waiting to hear from his son, knew that likely in the excitement of being with his friend, he had forgotten to call. But instead of uh, calling to make the boy come home because he didn't call, the father decided to do something to just prompt him to obey. He knew his son's heart, and so he decided that he would call. He called the house where his son was supposed to be, and he let it ring just once and then hung up. And you know what happened, don't you? Yes. The sound of that ringing phone prompted a heart call in that little boy, a healthy guilt, and about a minute later, the father received a phone call from a repentant son, reassuring him that he had in fact arrived safely and he was sorry that he hadn't called like he was supposed to. It's interesting how things work to prompt us to be obedient to our heavenly Father. And we find rest and we find assurance when we do just that. A few weeks ago, I was uh, reading in Psalms. And uh, as in so many of the Psalms, they are very um, heart-touching. Uh, and uh, the psalmist was confessing his sins and was seeking the Lord and I began to do the same thing. And I had this uh, feeling as I was going through that, that, Lord, I do want your blessings and I do want your favor, but I know there's just some things that I can't forgive myself for. I know you're a forgiving God. I know you're a great God. And I have no question, I have no problem with that. I'm just absolutely convinced of that. But God, honestly, I don't feel like I can ever forgive myself for some of the things I've done, some of the hurt, pain that I've caused. And that was a, a deep and precious moment, really, with the Lord. But it was also, I think, a a difficult moment. As I thought about that later, I realized, you know, I think there's a lot of people who f forgive others even, but just won't forgive themselves. And that's a sad place to be, to be in that oppressive point where we just don't forgive ourselves. The Holy Spirit is constantly prompting. He's constantly talking to us, and He wants us to receive the forgiveness of the Lord. Let's all find rest in the Lord today. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you today for this moment to look into your word. Thank you for 
the blessed truth from Psalm 32. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just meet with all of us. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who's just been struggling with forgiving themselves for something they've done, that Lord, today would be the day that they would hear the call of the Holy Spirit, that phone call that says it's all forgiven, everything's all right. In Jesus' name, amen. David was raised as a shepherd. He wasn't really raised to be a king by any means. As someone once said, great men aren't born. They are made. He was raised as a shepherd, favored by God. And God made him the most successful king in the history of Israel. David was a good man. A very good man. Despite his issues, he was a great man. In fact, the Bible says about David, he was a man after God's own heart, chosen by God because of his very, uh, his, the kind of a heart that he had. Anybody that has ever read Scripture, heard messages, knows, however, that David was certainly not a perfect man. He struggled as a result of that with guilt. Psalm 32 is a song that the Holy Spirit inspired David to write. David was a creator of instruments. He was also a, a songwriter, a lyricist. He was, uh, songs meant so much to him. This psalm then probably would have been sung, much of it in a minor t- key, but it, also, it is such a victorious psalm at the same time. It was David's worst time. Surprisingly, however, it came at the best of times. He was king. This was not when he was washing some ugly, stinky sheep. This came when he was a king and he had things going his way. David committed an affair, violence. A year passes and seemingly David's sin was gone. But covered beneath that uh, veneer was a troubled personality. From the outside, I'm sure David probably looked about the same, but inside he was a mess. He was such a mess that when God, always phoning him, always ringing that telephone, and David would hear the ring and would not call, he would hear the ring and not call. Finally, one day, a prophet, a preacher by the name of Nathan shows up, and the old preacher looked at the young king. His heart was broken, grieved at a man who he had such great hopes for. After David was confronted by the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the pastor, David said the three greatest words to get close to God, I have sinned. He fell on his face before God. Out of that experience comes Psalm 32. And so let's go to Psalm 32, and we're going to today see this amazing psalm. We're going to go through it, hopefully through the balance of it, 
And we're going to find out how that David found peace of mind by forgiving and by forgiving himself. First of all, we find an explanation of guilt in verses 1 and 2. God describes and clarifies exactly what causes guilt. What causes guilt? Well, there should be no surprise here, disobedience. Let's read uh, verse number one, if you would, please. Ready, begin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, guilt actually is and can be a good thing, especially if it motivates us to seek the Lord. God uses things to prompt us to answer His telephone call. God uses the Holy Spirit. God uses uh, the Word of God. God uses our conscience. There are different instruments that may, uh, He may apply. He may use a song. He may use uh, some scene we see or whatever the case is, but God uses these things. God wants us to change. God wants us to be transformed. He wants us to have a close relationship with Him. And so guilt actually, healthy guilt, is actually a good thing. I saw a few excerpts this week just kind of browsing through things on guilt. And this particular man was trying to help people, you know, get past their bad feelings. And he basically said these words. He said, you should never feel bad about yourself. He was attempting to help them get rid of guilt in their life. And it is true, guilt can have devastating consequences. But basically, as he explained and others clarified, that really, for the most part, guilt is a result of socialization. That is, uh, you only feel guilty because your parents made you feel guilty, or because some strict pastor or some society rules made you feel guilty. But you really shouldn't feel guilty. You should never feel bad. But the reason you feel guilty is because they feel guilty. And the reason they feel guilty is because their parents made them feel guilty. And so really the reason we feel guilt, it's because of society. That was the premise. The truth is, if you buy into that philosophy, you will soon be a sociopath. And the Bible is very clear that there is a, it's not a good thing that we don't feel guilt. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says that there's a possibility that a conscience can be so, uh, become so seared, actually, that it is beyond even the ability to feel guilt. We need to be guilty at times, and we need to understand that this thing can be actually good. But the problem for many, I really believe, is the same problem I experienced recently. And that is, you do acknowledge your sin. You do ask for forgiveness. You do want closeness to God. And yet, after you go through that, you still have this and remains a lingering oppression. And I can say that's not what God wants. Notice what this psalm starts with in verse number one. It says, blessed. (laughs) It didn't say, misery because of guilt. He said, blessings because of guilt. There's a difference between blessed guilt and miserable guilt. 
David said, my, and he begins to describe sin, and he really gives three words for it. In verse number one, he calls sin transgression. Now, he's not to, in these explanations, he's not trying to, you know, do an end run around what sin is. He's just trying to explain different types of how we sin. In the legal community, they talk about, you know, premeditated versus an act of, you know, passion or something. And so, kind of the same concept. First word is transgression, verse number one. The connotation here is that of willful disobedience. Knowing what's right, doing it anyway. David knew, absolutely knew that having an affair with Bathsheba was immorality. The cover-up, the violence was equally wrong. David knew he sinned against the light, and yet he still did it. He wanted what he wanted. As a result of that, later on, I'm sure, when the Holy Spirit rung his uh, bell, he said, oh God, how could I be so stupid? Well, that's because even when we know what's wrong, sometimes we still willfully go against it. That's transgression. Then the second word is sin in verse number one. That is the second term for sin. The word here means, and it's a very common word, it means to miss the mark or to deviate from the path. It's not especially rebellion in that it was premeditated. It was certainly allowed. It wasn't that someone made us do it. But the word concept here is that of aiming towards an archery maybe and the arrow falls short or goes off to the side. The concept there is missing the mark. And I think we will all agree that David surely missed the mark for what a good marriage is all about. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, he missed the mark for being a good father. Can you imagine what his father, what his children must have realized when they realized what their dad had done and what his wife must have realized and what his people? So he definitely missed the mark. And in that regard, uh, it was definitely a huge screw up. There's transgression, there's sin, and then there's iniquity. Verse number two, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. The Hebrew word for iniquity is that of self-will. It is that of self-deception. And I think that's one of the most ironic things about sin. Most people sin... And we even hear people saying it, saying, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, and I don't want any church telling me what to do. I don't want the you know, government telling me what to do. I do what I want to do. The most ironic thing about sin is you are actually not in control. It is self-deception. It's iniquity. That's what this word is. The greatest fool is ourselves. But the good news is God says that even though we willfully sin, transgression, Even though we miss the mark of being a father, being a husband, being a good leader, being a good Christian, even though we miss the mark, or even though we even deceive ourselves through willfulness, God said that can be forgiven. And that's what he says here. It can be purged, clean, not even as though you ever happened. Several years back, uh, I was working on my Volkswagen I have a 1958 Volkswagen, and uh, yesterday I stopped by an In-N-Out Burger for a second, and um, the girl 
one of the workers stuck her head out and she said, I love your car. And uh, I said, it's the man that makes the car. And, uh, but uh, she's a little teenager, you know, but uh, um, she said, I love the smell of those old bugs. And if only people who's ever owned a bug know what that means. Uh, they do. They just have a smell. Those old horsehair seats. And, but one of the things you're smelling is oil. And I was working on my transaxle and trying to put gear oil in that thing. And uh, that was not an easy job, I'll tell you. But I got it everywhere. It was on the semen. It was on the car. It was on my clothes. And it was on my hands. Now, I hadn't had oil on me before, but I'd never had gear oil. I don't know what it is about 90-weight gear oil. I have no idea where they get that stuff. But you can't ever get rid of the smell. I mean, if you ever have it on you, you have it for 20 years. And uh, it just smells forever. You can't purge it. But God can, amen. God can purge everything. And that's what he's pointing out here. It's no, no matter what sin it is, God can purge away that smell, that stink of our sin. Now we have the, not only the explanation of guilt, but notice the effect of guilt. Verses 3 and 4, when I kept silence, in fact, let's read these two verses together. Verses 3 and 4, ready, begin. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I think we'll all agree guilt is devastating. It is devastating. I hate it. There are at least three results, terrible results. First of all, guilt destroys our confidence. Verse 3, when I kept silence, sometimes people are silent and they pull back and they, they kind of, we kind of wonder and we'll say, what's going on? Are you, are you okay? And that's the result, uh, not everybody that's quiet, it's result of sin, but the problem, one fact is when we get that way, we do withdraw because we're worried. We're worried someone's going to find out maybe what we did or we're just so frustrated with ourselves. It's a funny thing about guilt and how it destroys our confidence. Police officers say that some of their greatest arrests come after stopping someone from a, from a minor traffic citation, and then the person runs, and the police chases them. And they find out the guy has a warrant or something like that, all because that guy, he had no idea he was just getting stopped for a stop sign. But, uh, you know, that's what happens when we feel guilty. It just destroys our confidence. It destroys our living. It also demolishes our connections. He said, my bones waxed old. Day and night there was a heaviness on me, a heaviness, a heaviness. And when we feel heaviness, we are impatient. Living with unconfessed sin just makes us a terrible person to be around. It's been often said, and it's so true, hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. The heaviness that's upon me. Have you ever find yourself recently just reacting in anger? Do you find yourself just unreasonable? Do you find yourself just feeling like everybody's crazy and you just 
feeling withdrawn, if you find yourself pulling back maybe from someone you love so dearly, the problem could be maybe there's some guilt in there. There's just, you haven't released that. God says you need to get that forgiven. Guilt has a terrible way of changing our behavior towards others. I read in the Reader's Digest a story of a woman who drove 20 miles to see her friend. After she had visited her friend for a while, she went out to the car only to realize she had locked her keys in the car. She didn't have an extra set, so she did what every good wife does. She called her husband, contritely so. He grudgingly agreed to drive the 20 miles so he could unlock her car. And so the two women stood outside the car for about 20 minutes or so, just chatting, waiting for her husband to come, when all of a sudden the friend looked in the back and realized that the back door lock was unlocked. The woman had forgotten to check the doors, and uh, they opened that door up, and there were her keys, and her friend looked at her and said, what are you going to do? Her husband was already on the way. She knew if he came, he was going to be fuming. And so she said, I'm going to do what any good, red-blooded American woman would ever do. She just uh, took those keys, put them back in the car. She locked all the doors and shut the doors like that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, carrying a secret is, no, is a trouble. But I would tell you one thing, it's no laughing matter for David. He, it, was a, it says his bones waxed old. They were just heavy on him. F.B. Meyer, the great Christian author, once said that secret sin and inner peace with God never coexist. Secret sin and inner peace with God never coexist. David was a mess. His connections were demolished. His confidence was destroyed. And then guilt damages our condition. David said, it is having a physical effect on me. I mean, I'm just, I am physically a wreck. This is just messing me up. He was just troubling him. He said, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And medical evidence is very clear that guilt uh, can be attributed to hypertension, gastritis, headaches, even a contributing factor in heart attacks and strokes. David knew what he was talking about. I am physically a mess because of guilt. Perhaps you've been somewhere. Maybe you can be sitting in a restaurant, or you could be at home taking a shower, or you could be laying in bed in the middle of the night and suddenly remember something. I mean, it just pops in your head, something you feel guilty for, and it has a devastating effect. I mean, just devastating. You can't shake it. And I will guarantee it, the devil will remind you of it and will remind you of it. There was a little boy that was given a slingshot for birthday. He loved that little slingshot. Every day he practiced aiming at different objects. Well, during the summer, he and his sister went to spend some time at their grandma's house, which they didn't often. One day, uh, out in the backyard, he spied his grandma's pet duck. On impulse, he took that slingshot that he'd been practicing 
And he took aim, never thinking he'd hit that duck, but he did. Not only hit it, killed it. Killed his grandma's duck. It's a sad story, isn't it? And uh, he panicked, didn't know what to do. Ran over there, took the duck, gave it mouth to mouth or <laughs> mouth to beak. And uh, but he then took that little duck and he ran over to the wood pile and he stuffed it under that wood pile. He covered it up and then had the sneaking feeling someone was watching him. Looked up and saw his sister. And his sister had seen everything. And she just smiled at him. Well, at lunch that day, Grandma told Sally she needed to help with the dishes. And Sally said, Johnny wants to help with the dishes. In fact, he wants to do all of them, Grandma. He told me so. Didn't you, Johnny? And then she leaned over to Johnny and she whispered in his ear, Remember the duck. For the next few weeks, Johnny did a whole lot of dishes and a whole lot of other chores. And every time he started to complain, she just looked at him and said, remember the duck. And that's the devil right there. Amen. The devil loves to get dirt on us, doesn't he? And in the middle of the night, he'll come to us and he'll say, remember the duck. And we're sitting here thinking, oh my goodness. And that's just, it is just destroys our peace. The explanation of guilt, the effects of guilt. Now, hallelujah, the escape from guilt. The remaining parts of the chapter. Let's go to verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. In other words, David said, it's time to come clean. He wasn't just sorry, he was caught. He was sorry. He was genuinely remorseful. He was willing to turn from his sin and turn to God. And I think that is really the first step in forgiving ourselves too, and that is acknowledging it to God. Notice all the personal pronouns in this verse. My sin, my transgressions, the iniquity of my sin. He didn't say, well, if Bathsheba hadn't been over there, or if that, or if that. He just said, no, look, I, I did this. This is my issue. He didn't deny it. He didn't minimize it. He didn't blame somebody else. He didn't call it a mistake. He didn't say it's a lapse of judgment, although all those were true. He simply said, it is wrong. And he acknowledged it. But you may be here this morning like I was a few bit ago, and you have confessed your sin. You have acknowledged it. You have gone to the Lord, and you have said, Lord, I am sorry. And yet you still feel like there's this oppression. Perhaps you're here, and you feel like you just have to hold yourself in a constant state of remembrance, or otherwise you'll forget just how bad how nasty you were. Some that are here, perhaps you have to pay a price. Maybe some believe it has to be a lifelong penance because of what you did, because you could never forgive yourself for how much you hurt somebody and how desperately you sinned. You got the message loud and clear that it was sin, 
But somehow along the line, you never received the message that God can forgive. And so God gave David four promises, four wonderful promises to remind him and help him to know how to escape from this guilt. First of all, God promises cleansing. Verse number five, thou forgavest, you washed the iniquity of my sin. God not only washes our sin, He he, for, he not only forgives it, He washes it. He takes away, and that's what this word actually means, the word forgiving there. Actually, the word forgiveness in the Hebrew language means to remove a burden. And that's really what forgiving yourself is all about. Forgiving ourselves is not about forgetting what we've done. It's about refusing to carry the baggage of what we've done. And that's what God says here. God said, I will forgive you. You don't have to carry that baggage. It doesn't mean we forget what we've done. I don't think we ever can. Once you've hurt somebody so deeply or once you've done something that's just so wrong, I don't know that we can ever forget it, but we can certainly not carry the baggage. Pauline and I have learned when you go on trips, especially when you go overseas, you don't need all that stuff you need. The first trip we took, I think each of us had like three big old luggage. It took about five or six guys to carry all our stuff into one of this place. I said, that's it. We, next, from now on, and we do, all we do now is a carry on each. I tell you what, I don't want the, I don't want the baggage. And you don't need the baggage. Let's go through life a lot more efficiently than that. God promises cleansing. God promises care. Number two, verse seven, thou art my hiding place. Preserve me from trouble. Compass me with songs of deliverance. God wants to be your shelter. He wants what's best for you. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9. In Hebrews chapter 4, God is describing how beautiful a thing it is for the people of God to have gone into Canaan land. And yes, Jerusalem is theirs. God gave it to them, and they have gone into Canaan land, but it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was a fight. Now, Canaan land, in some sense, is a picture of heaven, but it's actually more a picture of the sanctified life because uh, it is uh, lots of battles in Canaan land, and that's really not a picture of heaven, but there is a lot of battles in a sanctified life. But once you have got there, Hebrews chapter 4 says, there remaineth a rest, a Sabbath for the people of God. And that's what I want. (laughs) Several weeks ago, a few months ago, when I was feeling this feeling of, I know you forgive me, Lord, but honestly, I can't forgive myself. When I read that God wants to give me rest and there remains a rest for the people of God, But in Hebrews chapter 4, God said the reason you don't have rest is because you're not believing it. Are you hearing me? That's why we can't forgive ourselves. It's not because we don't know God forgives, and it's not because we don't even know God forgives all we've done. It's just that we won't believe it. We refuse to believe it. For some reason, we just, and it's from the devil, I know, he just wants us to carry that baggage. 
Number three, God promises counsel. Verse eight, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Amen. I guess the real question here, though, is are we making ourselves available to learn? Are we willing to let God guide us? Or are we just saying, no, I want to do it my way? And verse 9, be not as a horse or a mule. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying donkey. Be not as a horse or a mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Allowing God to guide us through His Word and through people who love us is the way to find forgiveness. It's the way to find the freedom. Have you ever thought about how that really uh, when we refuse to forgive ourselves, it's actually a form of pride? Because whenever we enact a higher set of rules than even God has, we've placed ourselves in the place of God. God said, I will repay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And if God's not planning on putting vengeance on me, then why should I put vengeance on myself? If I do so, I am putting my place, I am putting myself in the place of God. I, it, is a, it is a source of pride. And pride in the Christian life is a big problem. We so often don't see ourselves as God sees us. I told you before about the two elderly southern women who were sitting together in church. They were right on the front row. Boy, they were listening to a fiery preacher. He was banging the pulpit, and those ladies were just cheering him on. He was condemning sin, and it was a great service. And boy, those two ladies just cried out, Amen, brother, preach it. When he condemned the sin of lust, they said, Preach it, reverend. When he spoke out against lying, they jumped to their feet and they screamed, right on, you tell it like it is, amen. But when that preacher parked on the sin of gossip, those two ladies got very quiet. And that one lady turned to the other and she said, well, he's done preaching now. And now he's just gone to meddling. And, uh, and you know, that's what happens with God. He is, he's not content with just preaching to us the word. He wants to meddle. He wants to meddle right inside of us, and we oftentimes don't accept it because we're too proud. God promises cleansing. He promises care. He promises counsel. And finally, He promises compassion. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Hallelujah. Mercy shall surround me. We used to have a song leader here, and he'd be He'd be leading us in music, and we'd be going to the throne, and it was a beautiful time, and all of a sudden, he'd stop and say, what's that? We're like, what is he talking about? And he'd turn around and say, what's that following me? And I thought, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? He'd say, well, look here there. Mercy is following me. <laughs> and that's what the Bible says. It's all around us. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Goodness and mercy right behind me, chasing me down. God promises compassion. Folks, no matter how evil the deed you have done, no matter how serious the hurt you've caused, no matter how vile you have been or I have been, God's love says, you can't keep me from loving you. <laughs> 
you can't keep me from loving you. My mercy will surround you. My mercy shall compass you. You couldn't keep me from loving you no matter what. But we just don't want to forgive ourselves. We don't want to love ourselves. My friend, forgiving ourselves doesn't let us off the hook. It doesn't justify what we've done. It's just about receiving the promises of God. That's all. It's just about believing God that He wants us to go into the promised land. There remaineth a rest for the people of God. Three considerations before we close this morning. Consider Satan's part in guilt. Accusation. That's his very name. Here's what Satan says. You're not worth it. You've gone too far. There's no forgiveness for what you've done. There's no forgiveness for what you've done. If you've ever told yourself that, then you're just repeating Satan. Because I promise you, God never told you that. God is never an accuser. He's a convictor. He wants us to come back to him. The truth is God forgives anything and he'll forgive me. Say that with me, please. God forgives anything, and he'll forgive me. Say that again. God forgives anything, and he'll forgive me. Then consider God's part, affirmation. And I think that's perhaps the most important part in releasing guilt. People who can't forget what they've done, so they just somehow transfer that to God. They just can't conceive that God could forget. But God's forgetting isn't based on humanity or some physical problem. <laughs> I was uh, getting ready to hit a golf shot and uh, I was looking for my four iron. I looked through my bag and said, where's my four iron? I knew I'd used it a couple holes back. I said, where's my four iron? The guy was, I was frustrated. I said, where, where is my four iron? I mean, I wouldn't leave it on the ground. I mean, where's my four iron? The guy looked in the bag and said, I don't. Then all of a sudden the guy said, is this it? I had already taken it out of my bag. I had leaned it next to the bag. I was getting ready to use it. I forgot. 60 seconds I had already taken it. I had forgotten I thought, I looked at him and said, that was just a test. And uh, he looked at me like, you okay? And uh, I'm fine. And uh, quit messing with me. And, uh, but my forgiveness is based on my humanity. My forgiveness is based on, I'm loopy. But God's forgiveness is based on the fact of his choice. Hebrews 8.12 says, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. He chooses to remember them no more. I distinctly remembering to forget that. <laughs> I distinctly remember. I forgot that. And then my favorite verse, perhaps in Psalm 103, verse 12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. You can go to the North Pole and you can go to the South Pole and they eventually, you can find 
that point. But you will never find an east pole and a west pole. Because if you keep going east, eventually you'll be going west. It's just God says you'll never find that sin. Did you know that David is mentioned 57 times in the New Testament? And not one time did God ever mention his sin. Not once. Why? Because God has got amnesia or because God's old and can't even find his four iron? No. Because God chooses to remember no more. And then finally, consider our part. Realization. David said, my sin, my iniquity have I not hid. I, re- I reveal it to you. I'm not going to try to cover it. Some people just hang on to the baggage. Others just refuse to admit it. The best thing to do is to reveal it to the Lord. Someone once said revealing is the beginning of healing. Some of you have been dragging some sin around, some baggage that you have done for years, maybe decades. Now, I think this is a good message for 2017 as we end. Did, did you sin during 2017? Did you do some things? Did you make some mistakes? Did you, a transgression, you knew what was wrong, you did it anyway? Or maybe a sin, you just missed the mark as a husband, as a wife? As a... Whatever the case, God said, don't enter, don't spoil 2018 by just dragging into it the baggage of 2017, or for that matter, 2016, or 2015. Forgiving ourselves is not about condoning wrong actions. It is about believing that God forgives those who come to Him, who turn from their sin. It's about, it's about believing what God said. It's, not, it's about Refusing to be God in our life and to let God be God. If God can forgive you, you can forgive yourself. Because God doesn't want us to be just stuck in the past from a decade ago or two decades ago or something you did as a young man or as a young woman or whatever the case. God doesn't want us to be stuck in that. He wants us to move forward. Forgetting those things which are behind I press towards the mark. Here's a good prayer. Heavenly Father, I understand that there is nothing to gain by holding myself in unforgiveness. Listen closely. Father, I do now confess the sin of ungodly self-abasement. I do now confess the sin of ungodly self-abasement abasement, and the vows I have made never to forgive myself for what I have done. But if you died for my sins, I choose to forgive myself. I repent of my pride, and I thank you for loving me, and I thank you for your grace, encompassing me with your mercy. And in Jesus' name, I come to you. Would you bow with me, please? Our heads are